Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah. This is Cog Dog Radio. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, we're going to talk some more about barking, which we talked about last time. We're going to talk about this idea of handler focus versus obstacle focus. And we're going to talk a little bit about managing your agility classes so that people pay really good attention to their dogs. And I'm going to give you a heads up on what I've got coming up at the Cognitive Canine. So first off, the last podcast I put out was titled, Did You Know Barking is a Reflex? And I have since been corrected and I stand corrected. (laughs) Um, Barking, technically... It's, it's very much a gray area, and I if I had a neuroscientist who wanted to come on the show, if you are a neuroscientist and you want to come on the show, please send me an email because I would love to talk to you about this. Um, I've since dug through some neuroscience um, material and have really tried to figure this out, like why is barking not a reflex versus crying in a baby is a reflex and the answer is it depends and the answer is it's all a gray area and the answer is the science is too complicated for me to understand and it's probably too complicated for most of you guys to understand too unless you're neuroscientists um so I'm not going to go down that road what I'm going to go down instead is I'm going to say you know what a reflex is is something that occurs automatically in response to a stimulus without conscious thought. Um, To me, that seems like a lot of different kinds of barking can fall into that category, but not all kinds of barking, which is where things get tricky. So um, what I am going to say is that barking can be reflexive in nature. It can be in response to a stimulus, an automatic response to a stimulus. Um, And that what's more important is that the physiological responses that precede the barking, the physiological responses that are all that are truly automatically responding to a stimulus are probably the the actual reflexes at work. Um, And so I stand by everything that I said in the last podcast as far as what we need to think of barking as and what... um, thinking of it as a reflex can help us do, but we can't technically classify barking as a reflex. And so I wanted to clarify that and correct that for you all. Um, next topic, I got an email from an agility instructor um, just kind of saying, how, how can I make it clear to people how punishing they're being to their dogs when they ignore them or when they kind of throw up their hands and sigh in frustration um, at themselves, but not their dogs. And how can I make people be better about that? And the truth is that whenever you're trying to change behavior, you can either reinforce what you want or you can suppress what you don't want. So what we don't want is the person sighing or throwing up their hands or turning away from their dog. And I'm going to admit that I took a punishment route with this with a couple of human students several years ago, and I made them give me a dollar every time they did it. I explained to them what it was they were doing. I told them to bring a wad of ones next time they came, and they gave me a dollar every single time they engaged in that highly punishing behavior to the dog. It worked like a charm for one of my handlers, 
And the other one just became more frustrated um, and kept doing it and, you know, was mad at herself every time she did it, but kept doing it. And I look back on that and I think, wow, you know, I could have been smarter about that. I'm a reinforcement-based trainer. Using punishment on people is maybe not the smartest move. The fact that it worked for one person and not the other um, speaks to the differences in learning subjects and um, would probably be applicable to dogs that if you're going to use a straight up suppression model, it's going to work some of the time and it's not going to work some of the other times. So what I could do instead is I could teach an incompatible behavior and then I could cue that behavior in the moments that I wanted it until it started happening on its own. So I'm going to give you an example. You would like your student to pay attention to their dog first when finishing a sequence as opposed to turning to you, the instructor. Number one, understand you have built that behavior by responding to them every time they turn away from their dog and turn to you looking for instruction. So you have to stop doing that. Um, and what I would do is say to your students, listen, at the end of your run or at the end of a mistake or any pause in training, I need you to first reinforce your dog. So first turn to your dog and reinforce them. And you can give them a tug, you can give them food, but you're always going to turn to your dog and reinforce them at the end of anything. And the cue for that behavior is going to be pay the dog. So I'm going to say pay the dog, okay, when I want you to turn and reinforce. And then what happens is the handler finishes their run, they turn to the instructor, which is the behavior they've learned to do, and the instructor says, pay the dog. If the handler does anything other than paying the dog, the instructor repeats, pay the dog, until the handler begins to pay the dog. And then I, as the instructor, would, would go ahead and give my feedback on that sequence. And as I'm giving my feedback, if the person disengages from their dog, I stop giving feedback immediately and say, pay the dog. And if you don't want the person to reinforce continually while you're talking, but you want them to occupy their dog another way, you need to put that on cue as well for the person and cue them in addition. You are training people, not just dogs. It's not going to be helpful for you to explain to them how punishing that is for their dog because they don't understand that. And again, that's still your attempt at using punishment to alter this behavior, which we don't want to be doing. So teach the humans what you want them to do and then cue them to do it whenever you want them to do it. And I promise you their behavior will change. I watched it happen in my human students and it was great. Now, the tougher instance is when the person has that exasperated response to their own handling. So they botch the front cross or whatever and they go at themselves and that's really punishing to dogs as well. When that begins to happen, when the mistake occurs, you the instructor, before that other behavior happens, yell across the field, pay the dog. So you've got to be as on it, as observant of their behavior as you would be in any other animal that you were trying to train. Um, the second the mistake occurs, preferably before the exasperated sigh comes out, but it's okay if it comes out after or during, yell across the field, pay the dog. Okay. And then praise. Every time they turn to pay the dog, say, thank you. You're doing a great job. Um, if they choose to pay the dog before you tell them to, 
jackpot. Tell them they're awesome. Um, tell them thank you so much for paying your dog. You're, it's really paying off. So for me, that's the best way to go about that as opposed to explaining to people the downfall. Because if you've been in agility long enough, you understand the downfall. They're going to figure that out. Um, just tell them what you do want them to do. They don't need to understand the downfall. They need to understand what good dog training is. Um, a lot of times we get hung up on explaining to people what's bad about stuff. And then we don't explain what's good about things. Um, that's the same across the board for all dog training. If you're a dog trainer and you're constantly posting about how damaging XYZ tool or equipment or method is, but you're not talking about what's good to be doing in dog training, you are digging your own hole. You are not actually improving our industry. So always, always just teach people what good habits are as opposed to trying to explain to them why their current habits are not good and you will get much, much further in the teaching of your students. Um, next little piece is I talk a lot about stress reduction in dogs um, during training and a lot of the times I do, I use a lot of food for this. So eating is a really natural stress reduction for I'm not sure if it's all species um, now that I think about it, but it certainly is for dogs and certainly is for people. Um, when you eat, your body releases serotonin and it makes you feel better. It makes you feel nice. Um, and so eating and freaking out are kind of incompatible. Um, and so if the dog is kind of spinning up during a training session, I'll just have people throw a handful of food on the floor and the dog will just kind of slowly consume all that food and then they'll find that the dog is calmer afterwards. And so I use a lot of food. And a question that I keep getting is, is that what I would do for a dog that had, quote, too much handler focus? So backing up, this idea of handler focus is in contrast to the idea of obstacle focus. And these are, these are some of those terms that exist in dog training but don't exist anywhere else because they're really only applicable to dog training specifically really agility training and what's important to note here is that handler focus kind of means that the dog is just as it sounds focused on the handler and then obstacle focus is the dog is focused on the obstacle ahead um, really on the task at hand and the truth is that there aren't dogs that have more handler focus than obstacle focus naturally. We're not talking about natural stuff. We're talking about dog agility and there's nothing about it that's natural, okay? Are some dogs more comfortable working at a distance than other dogs? Of course. Border Collies were bred to gather sheep very far away from a handler. So a lot of them are much more comfortable working at a distance, um, than say a gun dog that was bred to work very close to the handler in the field. However, none of this has anything to do with handler versus obstacle focus. And my techniques for soothing, like throwing food, will not increase or decrease handler focus or they shouldn't have an effect on handler focus. What has an effect on where the dog is putting its attention is its reinforcement history. So if you have a dog that you feel is too handler focused, you need to think hard about have I trained the obstacles adequately? Does the dog understand the obstacles well enough? And have I reinforced the dog for staying on its path? 
um, well enough and significantly enough that the dog will stay out. So as it comes back to, and you guys, every question I get, the answer is the same, which is look at your dog training examine your training plan, examine, and what your training plan involves is um, reinforcement, reinforcement strategies. So where are you delivering reinforcement? Does the dog understand where you're going to be delivering reinforcement? These are really important. And also splitting. So splitting the criteria and making sure that you have reinforced each fine layer of this behavior. Um, And then just consistency and keeping that criteria consistent. So if you feel like the dog has more handler focus um, or more obstacle focus, that's the dog just telling you about his reinforcement history and not much more. So think about that. Now, certainly a reinforcement strategy for a dog that uh, liked to be near the handler would be away from the handler. So throwing food, throwing toys, sending the dog to a remote reinforcer, Um, would be a really good idea for those dogs and therefore scattering food off your body um, could be could seem a little counterintuitive but understand that these soothing techniques are not meant to reinforce anything they're just meant to calm the dog down and they should be happening in a moment where the dog is kind of no longer this is not scientifically accurate but I'm going to say he's no longer an operant state meaning that he's no longer acting to get something or to avoid something he's acting because of the way that he feels and therefore this food is not going to reinforce or punish anything it's just going to help the dog calm down or that's my goal to have it do so focus on that if you've got a dog that you're trying to chill out a little bit do think about uh, reinforcement on the line or away from you if you find he has too much of what you call handler focus um, but don't worry too much about the soothing techniques being being on or near you because they shouldn't be given um, in such a way that it produces behavior. And if it is producing behavior, you have to kind of examine when you're giving it and what's going on there. So I hope that's helpful. Um, and next, I'm just going to talk about my upcoming courses. As most of you know, I'm wrapping up my first course for Fenzy Dog Sports Academy. It's called Worked Up, and I had such a blast teaching this course. I had an amazing group of gold uh, students. Those are the students that post video and work with me through the material. Um, I had an excellent chunk of silver students. Those are the ones that don't post video, but they can post questions, asking really smart questions and engaging in good discussion. Um, And I had a ton of bronze students who have given me some direct feedback to my email or on Facebook about how much they're enjoying the class. And I just can't say how much fun it's been to put this material out there because it's material that means a lot to me that I think needs to get out there in the dog sport world. So I've got two courses coming up for the April term. Um, The classes start April 1st. Registration opens March 22nd. So the first one is a class I'm teaching by myself, which is the whole picture, behavioral wellness for performance dogs. And The whole picture is about a couple of things. So it was spurred by my concept called the four steps to behavioral wellness. And as a reminder, the four steps to behavioral wellness are um, exercise, enrichment, nutrition, and communication. So in preparing for this course, I really looked at these four pillars and tried to give material related to each to help people help their dogs feel more fulfilled in general 
to help them have a better performance. So we're going to really look at exercise and look at, you know, is my dog getting adequate exercise? And that doesn't mean is he getting enough? Is he getting adequate? So is he getting the right kind of exercise and how do you tell? So we're going to talk about which kinds of exercise are just wearing your dog out without actually enriching or um, improving your dog's life. We're going to talk about which um, forms of exercise are going to give you the best bet as far as behavior change that you might want to see. Um, and it's really, that's really interesting stuff to me. Enrichment, we're going to talk about how do we get these dogs brains working without actually doing a training session. I do love training. We're going to talk about training, but having the dogs use their brain to problem solve, to get things for themselves, as opposed to problem solve, um, to get things from us can be really, really an amazing experience for them and can help empower them and have them feel just more self-confident and more fulfilled in their daily lives. So we're gonna talk about different kinds of enrichment, what's best for shy dogs, what's best for bold dogs, and you know what can we learn about them by observing them work through a problem that doesn't involve a person. So that's the enrichment piece. The nutrition piece, I'm not a nutritionist or a veterinarian, so I'm not gonna give out nutrition advice per se. I'm just gonna share some anecdotal stories about nutrition, and we're gonna talk a little bit about how you can tell um, if, if the nutrition your dog is getting is working for them or not. And I'm gonna give some advice on maybe getting some better nutrition help from professionals who are qualified to do that if you feel like you need that. So that's gonna be the nutrition piece. And then finally, the communication piece. We're gonna get really in depth on marker signals. We're gonna get really in depth on reinforcing um, throughout daily life, not just in training. Uh, a lot of the frustration type behaviors or some of the worked up type behaviors that people are seeing are actually just in response to the dog um, not getting expected reinforcement or the dog not understanding when reinforcement was coming or how it's gonna be delivered. So we're gonna talk about that. And then we're also gonna train some key behaviors that I think performance dogs need to know that most people aren't training. So we're gonna teach them about the concept of waiting. Dogs don't really have a concept of waiting. Um, we're gonna help them understand that waiting to do an activity is a good idea. Uh, we're going to talk about crating as well. So how to see the crate as a relaxing space and have uh, produce a conditioned emotional response that is conducive to the dog hanging out in a crate at a trial or at a dog show. We're going to do something I call reinforcement stashing, which is a super fun game that will help your dog understand and cope with the delay of reinforcement that all dogs experience when we're gonna have them perform in performance events. So we all know that we can't take food or toys in the ring. How do we teach them to cope with the delay of reinforcement? Um, reinforcement stashing, stashing is also super helpful in daily life. Um, I live with six dogs and if I, you know, I can't just throw food all over the ground because I have six dogs diving for it at once and that can be a problem. So how do I tell one dog you're getting a cookie and then have him understand it's going to take a second for me to get it to you, but you're getting it and that's when you got it. So understand that's the behavior that's getting this cookie, even though I have to get up and walk over to the cookie jar and get it out for you. Um, that kind of thing. So reinforcement stashing is going to be really important. And we're going to teach a bunch of other stuff. We're going to have the dogs understand to redirect their attention to the handler in the face of social enticement um, and just basically produce these mentally sound, behaviorally sound 
working dogs for you guys. So that course is the whole picture. And I really hope you'll join me for that. Um, the other course I'm teaching, I'm teaching with Dr. Leslie Ide, CCRT, and we're teaching jumping gymnastics. Jumping gymnastics is a course that she and I have taught together for a while now through the Cognitive Canine, and we've decided to move it over to Fenzie Academy to reach um, a wider audience. And we're really excited about it, really excited to put it on that platform. We've dissected it, we've improved it, um, and it's ready to go for you guys. So jumping gymnastics, my side of it, is the science behind jump training. So it's laying a really good foundation for jump training with some sound behavioral science behind it. So we're going to talk about um, the best ways to teach dogs how to do this thing called jumping, which is jumping over a bar is pretty unnatural um, for a dog. And then Leslie's going to come in and she's going to give the fitness and conditioning side to jumping. So specific exercises that jumping dogs need to know. And need to understand. And that stuff, you guys, is really revolutionary. So she's broken down, um, jumping into five phases. She's gone through all the research that exists and she's got great exercises to present to you guys in jumping gymnastics. So I really hope you'll sign up for that one too. And of course, anybody can shoot me questions about either course or any questions related to the podcast um, at cogdogradio at gmail.com. That's it for this week, you guys. So I hope you'll join me in a couple of weeks. Shoot me your questions. Um, shoot me your suggestions for what you want me to put on the air. And I hope that you will sign up for one or both of those upcom upcoming courses. You can do that at FenzyDogSportsAcademy.com. And of course, those links are going to be both on my website, which is TheCognitiveCanine.com. And at my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash thecognitivecanine. If you haven't liked the Facebook page, I suggest that you do because that's the best way to get all of your updates on everything that I'm doing. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time.